0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show Back in the golden age of radio, there were many detectives prowling the airwaves But a bit of a different private eye emerged from the pen of Raymond Chandler In 1932, at the age of 44, Chandler became a detective fiction writer after losing his job as an oil company executive during the Great Depression. His first short story, Blackmailers Don't Shoot, was published in 1933 in Black Mask, a popular pulp magazine. His first novel, The Big Sleep, was published in 1939. Now, in addition to his short stories, Chandler published seven novels during his career— he had an immense stylistic influence on American popular literature. He's considered to be the founder of a hard-boiled school of detective fiction, along with Dashiell Hammett and James M. Cain, along with other black-mask writers. Tonight, Gerald Moore stars as Philip Marlowe in the episode entitled Open Window.
2: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison or the grave. This started with a terrified woman lost in a maze of memories she couldn't explain. And
3: waiting for her outside an open window was death. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now with our star, Gerald Moore... Start as Philip Marlowe. We bring you tonight's exciting story, The Open Window.
2: California's a year-round kind of place where each day blends into the next with a sort of sunny indifference. But the one just passed has been a little special. It was the cool, crisp autumn weather that reminded you of the east. Where autumn meant kicking your way through knee-deep drifts of brown and yellow leaves. Along a rutted country road that hinted at adventure at every turn. Yeah, that's the kind of a day it had been. But now, at a little past eight, as I stood at the window of my third-floor apartment, stared out over enough improved Los Angeles real estate to house maybe half a million people that tonight I wanted no part of. Because the world was out there minding everybody else's business. Well, I was in here minding my own. In here, everything was in order and cozy. I could read if I want to, write a letter if I want to, or just relax with...
4: Oh, no. your name Philip Marlowe? Yeah, why? Because I had that name and Mr. address written here on this card. I think I was supposed to see you. Do you know me?
2: Well, no, frankly, I don't. What were you supposed to see me about?
4: Who are you, Mr. Morgan? I mean, what sort of business? I'm a
2: private detective.
4: Private detective?
2: Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not that bad a racket. Is <laughs> oh, now, look. Why don't you come in and we'll talk this over, huh? Come on. Right. There. Hey, sit down, won't you? You look like a Navy. You can use a drink. Do you want one?
4: Uh, no, thank you. I just need to rest a moment. Oh. I've been walking for hours
2: now, tell me, what is it?
4: A man, listen. Someone's been following me. I was followed here, I'm sure. I, I don't know why. Really? This is Los Angeles, California, isn't it? Hmm. I keep thinking, that it, I feel as though it should be Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh? I don't know how I got here or why I want to see you, but I've walked until I'm nearly exhausted and I, I found that I'd written your name and address on this card here, so I, I decided to come and try to find out.
2: Now tell me, do you know who you are?
4: No, I don't know who I am.
2: This man you're afraid of, do you know him?
4: No. But I believe he knew me. He he reminded me of Vancouver, and that frightened me. I seem to remember I saw him a year ago. Maybe it was just the day before yesterday. (laughs) Bianca! crazy, that's something. I can't help it. I can't remember. I can't. Take it easy.
2: Now, you better lie down on the diagram. That's it. Come on. There girl. go. Look, I think we ought to call a hospital and see it. Stay where you are. It's company in the hall, maybe for us. Now, just take it easy. Hey,
5: hey, you, hold it. Hold it up there.
2: Oh, great. Who
5: was it,
2: Mr. Marlowe? I couldn't see. Don't let it bother you. Well, he's probably just one of my clumsy neighbors. He never watches where he's going. You know, the other oh, night... stop,
4: please. All right. Whoever was out there was looking for me.
5: I know he was. I know it.
2: Now, look, honey. Isn't there something you can tell me? Don't, don't you remember anything?
5: No, I don't know.
4: Here. Look in my purse. There's things in it I don't understand. Maybe there'll be some help.
2: The key. Address on a piece of brown paper. Eighty-four hundred North Virgil, mm-hmm. Tompkins. Does that mean anything
6: to you? Mm. Mm.
2: A little snapshot and move one of the pictures missing.
4: Either. I remember now. It was stolen. Good. But I don't remember what the picture was. Oh, please, please try to find out who I am and why I'm being followed. Please try to find out why I'm afraid. All right, baby.
2: Now you stay here till like I get back,
4: hmm? I won't bother anything. I'll wait right here. Oh, I'm so, tired. I'm so
2: tired. I figured what she needed most was rest, and she was getting that fast, so I dropped the items from a purse into my pocket, snapped the lock on my apartment door, and left. My first stop was the phone downstairs in the lobby where I found out that the Missing Persons Bureau had no one on file answering her description. My next stop was 8400 North Virgil. A half hour later, I found it. A crumbling, stucco-rooming house in a weller of knobby hills, huddled with other ramshackle houses that years ago had abandoned any hope of beauty in the face of the leaky, bobbing oil wells that had invaded the neighborhood like a horde of huge, greasy grasshoppers. I walked past one of the creaking monsters in the front yard, then down a grimy hall, with all-marked manager, Jacob Philpotts, below which some neighborhood wagon pencils thinks Wasn't funny. Yeah.
5: But
2: neither was Jake Philpotts.
5: Yeah, 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 well, what is this? Speak up, Sparty. I'm very busy killing a soldier. What's on your mind beside your hat? <laughs> okay,
2: comic, I want to see Tompkins.
5: Oh, you want to see Tompkins? That's what really? I said. Well, you're too late, Sparty. He's gone. Blue through the coop. Took the 500 berries and shoved off two hours ago.
2: away where?
5: For his hometown, I guess, Vancouver. It's way up in Canada. Which is a long walk, Sporty, so you better get started.
2: Wait a minute, Jake. Huh? Where did Tompkins get the 500
5: get? why some classy guy gave it to him.
2: Classy guy? Why?
5: Well, to get out of town and stay out. So he does. Uh-huh. But first he pays back all his back rent and buys me a bottle to sign. <laughs> Wasn't that sweet of him? That
2: stuff over there?
5: Yeah.
2: Must have hated you. Who is the classy guy? Why do you want Tompkins out of town?
5: Why do you want Tompkins? Well, how, how do I know? What am I in psychopredia? Hey, look, see. my whiskey's getting cold, so why don't you run along? I want to know who the I, guy was, and I want to now. Oh, so you're going to stop pushing, huh? You want to fight, huh? Okay, <laughs> pull <pretty laughs> him Come on. Take it easy, Buster. Take it
2: easy. You'll beat yourself there to is. death. Now let's negotiate. Prop huh? up against the wall, and I'll talk to you. What about a price for another bottle of that stuff?
5: I would like to see uh, another bottle.
2: That's what I said.
5: Oh, well, that's, that's different. That's really nice of you, Sporty.
2: Not really, kid. I'm trying to poison you. Know What was Tompkins' racket?
5: Oh, um, Gardner, Carpenter, Handyman, nothing much. Uh, uh, Who
2: was the classy guy that bought him off?
5: I uh, let's see. I uh, had his name right on the tip of my tongue a minute ago. A red-headed, flashy dresser. so had a sort of a... Oh, oh, oh. Palmer, Palmer. Yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Palmerly.
2: Very good. Now, one more. Where can I find him?
5: Well, he says something about running um, uh, the pearls. Uh, you got it?
2: Yeah, it's a dive on Highland. Thanks, Phil Potts.
5: Oh, but don't thank me, Sparty. You bought it, remember? This brand comes to $7.50 with tax. Don't
2: kid an old kid or jake. You can squeeze that junk out of sour potatoes. Here's sour potatoes? And have a happy hangover. <laughs> Outside, the smell of the oil well as I passed it was welcomed by comparison to Jake, which made it tough to reconcile anything I'd seen at 8400 North Virgil with the girl asleep on the divan in my apartment. As I drove back to Hollywood and down Highland Avenue, the night was still strangely quiet. Everything seemed to come in whispers. Even the hunch I had that the vanishing Mr. Tompkins had sold out dirt cheap to the boss of the pearls. Near 3rd Street, I spotted the place. Parked a ways beyond it and walked back. It was one of those dumps that dealt in bad bar whiskey, second rate bop, and a lot of darkness. I shook off a brace of lost weekenders on my way through, made it up the stairs to the offices where a block of orange light on the floor and a two-tone conversation told me to stop, look, and listen.
7: baby.
4: Alan, as they say in Missouri. I have to show you, huh? Uh-huh.
7: All right, no, my will. You're not easy to get over. I still love you, and I've missed you. So when you dropped me for your stuffy broker, friend, I did a little checking up, and I found out plenty. About
4: Cooper?
7: About Cooper Gerard. I don't believe it. Oh, but you should, honey. You see, Norma, it's not about him specifically, but about a woman. A woman who's all wrong, who spells trouble this deep, and I can prove it. I went to work on it tonight, and things are going to be different from now on. Hey, I buddy. Really Shh. Buddy, I want to get you, out could, you honey, Get out of here. Get back. out of here. Go on. Wait, now, wait a minute. All I want to know is hey,
2: what. I is said beat it, and I meant... Yeah, never mind, Buster. It doesn't matter anymore. My presence is now known.
4: Come on in, Junior. You can hear better inside.
2: I doubt it. I'll inhibit the performance. But thanks anyway.
7: Buddy, all I want to uh, know Now try the know. end
2: of the hall, then left. It's usually there.
7: Okay, thanks. That's all I want to know. Hello. Hello. What do you want, mister? Make it snappy.
2: Okay. Why'd you pay Tompkins to leave town tonight?
7: Tompkins? Who are you? Marlowe. Gonna answer the question, Parmelie? Why, certainly. I didn't pay him to leave town. I paid him for some work, carpenter work. Why?
6: What's the matter, Alan? Feel the whip handle slipping?
7: Not a bit, baby. Look, why don't you run along now? I'll call you later. Oh, uh, here's your cigarette case.
4: My cigarette case?
7: Yeah, take it with you. We'll get in touch later.
4: Okay, Alan. Good night, Marlowe.
2: Good night, Miss, uh... uh...
4: Castle. not that it'll do you
7: any good. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's a cute kid. Smart, too. All right,
7: all right. Why are you interested in Tompkins?
2: Because a certain lady's interested.
7: And a lady's name? None of your
2: business. Okay. Go on. This key. What door does it fit, Pommeling?
7: How should I know? Have you got anything else? Isn't that enough? Not enough to worry about, Marlowe, so I suggest that you leave. And in case you have any doubts, this thing goes off awful easy.
2: I see your point.
7: Yeah. And i just as soon shoot as not, so start down those stairs and don't look back. I bust for a couple of the boys. They'll be at the bottom. They'll help you out the front door. Oh, and Marlowe, take some advice. I don't like your type, so don't come back.
2: The boys escorted me politely as far as the sidewalk and gave me a send-off that piled me into the gutter. It's my own fault letting Connolly get the drop on me, but it was farther ahead of me than I figured. In fact, I was lucky. All I got was the bounce. I limped back to my car, got in and started home. But something about the trio of Norma LaCasso, formerly and a broker named Gerard, was offsetting. And Gerard's connections were too strong to pass up. So I decided to let the pale woman asleep in my apartment go right on sleeping while I stopped at a phone booth. Found only one Cooper Gerard listed, and he at eighty-one twelve North Orange Drive. It was a lonely house up in the Hollywood Hills. I tried the bell and got no answer. But I knew he was there. I slipped the enigmatic key out of my pocket and listened to the music coming from inside. I stuck it in a lock. It turned just as the footsteps inside, so I pulled it out fast and let the party on the other side of the door do the honors. What is it? You're Mr. Gerard? Yes, I'm Cooper Gerard. What is it? I'd like to come in and talk to you. My name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. I've got a key that fits your front door, plus a little photo album full of a girl. Here. Why, oh, that's Margaret's album. Her key. You found her. Where is she? What's happened to her? She's safe. Coming upper room. Right. So her name's Margaret, huh? Margaret what? Vesey. Margaret Vesey. But where is she? I've been frantic. I just called the police. She left the house this morning and didn't come back. Late now, and in her condition, I'm afraid What is Sunday. Margaret's condition, Mr. Gerard? She was injured in an auto accident a year ago last July, up near Vancouver. It affected her mind. Oh, but please, where is she? Just a minute. There are some questions that I'd like answered first. Exactly, what is Margaret Beasy to you? Until July 9th, 1948, when that horrible accident happened, nothing. Merely a hitchhiker.
7: My wife and I were motoring back from a vacation in Canada. We picked Miss Beasy up on the road. In the accident, Grace, my wife, was killed. Miss Beasy seriously injured. All I knew about her was that she was alone in the world, so there was no one to help her.
2: Well, since I was driving the car, I assumed that responsibility. The least I could do... Stayed with her in Vancouver until she partially recovered and then brought her here. She's been with me ever since. Now, will you please take me to her? But the story doesn't end there. What do you mean? Margaret Vesey's in trouble and she's scared. What do you know about a man named Tompkins? Why? Nothing. I don't know any Tompkins. You do know a Norma LaCasso, don't you? Norma? Of course, Mr. LaCasso and I are quite good friends. Mm-hmm. What about Alan Pomeley? Heard of him, a nightclub, I believe. That's but... right. Now tell me, can you tell me why a third picture is missing in the album? What's that? Let me see.
7: This is very strange. Margaret cherishes every picture in this album.
2: She thinks that one was stolen. Any idea what the picture was?
7: No. I can't imagine why it was stolen. All the pictures were simple, harmless snapshots. I can't remember the
2: one that's missing, but... Marla, what does all this mean? What's it all about? Well, as near as I can tell, there's some kind of nasty shakedown brewing. I don't know how or why, but Alan Pomeroy's behind it. Margaret Beesey's caught in the middle, so it involves you, too. Come on, let's go get her. She's asleep in my place.
7: You didn't leave her alone. Yes, I did. You shouldn't have done that. Couldn't you tell from her mental state that she isn't responsible? For two days, she's been moody. She's been talking about suicide. She might... Marlowe, save it. Come on, Gerard. Let's travel.
3: In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, by the time you've listened to Johnny Dollar, Philip Marlowe, Gangbusters, and Escape, and the CBS All-Star Saturday Night lineup, you may be in the mood for some sleuthing of your own. So try it with Sing It Again and The Phantom Voice. Don't always let the other guy or gal solve the mystery. Try it yourself with Sing It Again on most of these same CBS stations every Saturday night.
5: Tune in, tune in this fall. For the, the shows show that you love best of all Listen carefully Here's the address it's yes.
3: CBS. Now with our star Gerald Moore we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story The Open Window <drastically>
2: It took ten minutes to get from Gerard's house to my place. I knew because he reminded me of each one as it passed. But when we turned on to Franklin, where we could see my apartment house, the word hurry stuck in his throat. An ambulance was pulling away from a tight knot of people standing on the concrete driveway beside the building. And three floors above them, glowing like a single ugly, unblinking eye, was the window of my own apartment wide open. Even before I could stop the car, Gerard was out and running toward the crowd.
3: In that ambulance, a woman, mister, it was
8: terrible.
4: She out of that open window up there. Did you see it? Nobody saw it happening. Yeah,
7: it's bad, time? brother. They say she'd been laying here on the concrete for at least a half hour before anybody got to her. it has been so
4: quiet around here tonight. I'm surprised. Wait, they...
7: tell me, was she, was she dead? Just about. They don't give her a chance.
2: Come on, Gerard. Let's go upstairs. The
7: police are up there now. They're trying to find out... You say the woman came here to your apartment, Mr. Marlowe, and asked you
2: for help. Is that right? That's right, officer. She was frightened and exhausted. When I left, she was asleep on the divan there. With the door locked, Marlowe. Yeah, it's got kind of a nightlight, Gerard. I snapped it myself.
7: And you left her alone, right? Mm hmm. Well, uh, take a look around, will you? See if you can find anything to indicate that an outsider came in while you were gone. What makes you think there was an outsider here? Because I don't think she fell. Margaret was in mental turmoil, officer. She's been
3: despondent. It's possible that she jumped.
7: Yeah? How many people have you heard of that jumped out of a window backwards, mister? I think she was pushed. Pushed? Yeah. Come here, both of you. I want to show you.
2: He went over to the window and pointed to five scratches where fingernails had clawed the paint off the casing. The one that had to be made by her thumb was the lowest. It was true. She'd gone out backwards. As the officer explained that to Gerard, I stared down at the dwindling knot of people three stories below. Then up again at the five jagged scars ripped deep by a terrified woman's nails. Stared at them until I screamed at me as a sick mind must have screamed when she fell.
7: Marlo, what about this cigarette stub with lipstick on
2: it? Cigarette stub? Hey, that's exactly what I'd like to know. Gerard, where does Norma live?
7: Why, the uh, Hillcast apartment's on Sunset, but surely... Never mind what she- I
2: think. You go to the hospital and find out about Margaret. I'm going to pay a call on Norma Lacasseau right now. She's the type to be jealous and to- Marlo,
7: listen. You're making a mistake. That cigarette stub must be Margaret's because Norma doesn't smoke. What?
2: But- Norma doesn't smoke? And what about the cigarette cake? Hey, Buster, you better check with Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide. I'll see you later. Hey.
5: Hey, come back here, Marlowe. Sure.
2: The Hillcrest Apartments fit normal a to a tea. They were sleek, soft tones of burnished wood, streamlined in glass, with just enough chrome around for glitter. And when she answered her door in glossy green, lounging pajamas edged in gold, smiled and tossed a head of hair that was almost burgundy back to my face, I knew what Alan Parmely meant. Loving Norma LaCasso would be hard to get over.
4: Hello, Junior. Don't tell me you're joining the league, too. It's fast, you
2: know. Skip it, baby. I'm coming in. Do you mind?
7: Would <laughs> it do any good?
2: Mm-mm.
4: Get comfortable. I'll make you a drink or something.
2: Hey, Norma, you know Margaret Veezy, don't you?
4: That peculiar girl that stays at your please? Yeah, I met her A
2: little while ago, she dropped three floors from an open window to a slab of concrete. Oh. Lay there over 30 minutes before she was found.
4: Oh, Marlowe, that's dreadful. Don't look at me like that. I, I, I mean it. I like Margaret.
2: So do I. What's more, she didn't fall. She was pushed. Oh. Got a cigarette?
4: I'm sure. Yeah. Catch.
2: Hey. Oh, just one cigarette tossed like that? A man is a lousy. You're supposed to pass the case Cal- and let
5: the guest Cal- help himself.
9: Follow, Cal- you're hurting and I'm going to oh. keep
2: right on twisting until that Cal- a Cal- gold cigarette Cal- case drops.
9: That's what I adore about men. They're fools.
2: <clears throat> That's better.
4: Gorilla i have to help yourself. The picture's there under the bottom layer of cigarettes. But why it's important to be on me. It's
2: important to baby. He had you smuggled out of his office so I couldn't find it. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Margaret and Gerard at some little amusement park. Eh?
4: Mm-hmm. Near yeah, Vancouver, probably. He told me how I used to take her out while she was recovering from that accident. So what?
9: Even the autographs sort of make no sense to me.
4: Yeah, this one's hers. Yeah, we had fun, Mr.
2: This must be his, even the hottest day in Vancouver's history.
4: Now, that's it, muscles. all of it. Now, will you apologize for these wealth on my arm?
2: I don't get it. whole deal's screwing. The only way it would make any sense is it Norma, where's your phone book?
4: Over there, under the phone. Mm-hmm. Why? What have you got, Marlowe? Just an idea so
2: far. Stick around. Let's the U.S. government. Four assets. What is, this, what is Weather Bureau. Climatological records. Yeah. Mutual. Six...
7: Four, four, two, one. Weather Bureau records.
2: Hello, listen, can you tell me what the hottest day on record in Vancouver has been? I mean, the date. Do you have that information? British Columbia? Yeah. Yes, we've
10: got it here, I'm pretty sure. Just a minute. About?
2: I'm not sure yet. Yes, we've got it. it uh, hello? Yeah, I'm
9: here. Go
10: ahead. The book says
2: the hottest day up there was on July 3,
10: 1948. With July the temperature 3. reached 92 degrees. Some
5: record, huh? That's a nice place, Vancouver. I was yeah. up there
2: one year before. Yeah, thanks, friend. The weather bureau just lifted a cloud from a lady's mind. Hope you did it in time. So long. You found
5: out something big,
4: didn't you?
2: The works. Well, uh, aren't you going to pull a gun? They always do about here.
4: Not me. I've got concealed weapons.
2: You've also got dollar bills in your bloodstream instead of corpuscles. Mm. But you're smart, baby. So take a tip. Stick close to home. Don't even use the phone. You're a real nice, shiny item. I'd like to... That way.
5: Thanks.
4: I'm going to take your word dude But what does it mean?
2: Trouble. Just as soon as I can stir it up. Good night. From <laughs> Norma's and the time that had gone by, I figured my best bet was Gerard's place, but I was wrong. It was deserted, so I took the next best, which was Alan Pommely's The Pearls. It was well after clock when I got there and the club was closed, but the lights were on the offices upstairs. I parked, slipped around to the back and up a flight of iron stairs to a metal door at the top. I pressed my weight against it and very gently turned the knob and tugged softly and it swung open without a sound. Voices in the same square of orange light on the floor said that Pommelie's office was open again. So I eased my gun into my hand and moved until I could see him. A pair of jackals came to terms over Since the carcass. I know your little bomb. secret, Mr.
7: Gerard. the proposition I'm offering you is perfectly fair. What is it? First, that you stop seeing Norma Lacasso. And I mean, stop. Go on. Second, that you deliver $5,000 here to me by the end of the week. You must have got a lot of insurance on your wife, Gerard. Double indemnity, too. Am I asking too much? Blackmail leaves me no alternative. You're so right. How did you find out that she's not Margaret Vesey? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! A beautiful break. When you started seeing Miss Lacasso I began checking up on you. And two days ago, that checking up led me to the strange woman you called Margaret Vesey and a character named Tompkins. Ever hear of him? No. An itinerant gardener who was looking for work at your place. Also, Gerard, an itinerant gardener who knew your Margaret Beasy, who knew her as someone named Grace, and Grace Gerard Lest we forget was your wife. When he called her Grace, it scared her. She couldn't do it, but I could. So I see. Where is this Tompkins now, Palmer? <laughs> oh, don't worry about him. I sent him away. He'll keep his mouth shut. <laughs> he used to be a gardener on the wealthy side of Vancouver where your wife lived. Small world, and very
5: small world. <laughs>
7: Now, wait a minute, Gerard. I'm going to kill you, Pauline. I knew something like this would happen someday. My wife was getting her memory back. She was beginning to remember things, to realize that she wasn't really Margaret Vesey at all, that Margaret Vesey had died in the accident. And tonight, I pushed her out of an open window. The doctors practically assure me that she'll be dead by morning. She won't be missed, and neither will you, I'm sure. That
2: seems to be a belly, Gerard, if you move one inch. You, Pommelie, come around here. Wait me at desk. Come on.
7: Well, I'm glad to see you, Marlowe. You're the lesser of two evils. That's great. Well, it was a
2: sweet story, fellas. Between you, you left out only one thing, the picture. You got it from the little album because you needed some tangible proof, didn't you, Pomely? And it cinched the deal because the accident happened on the 9th of July. But Gerard here had his picture taken with a supposed hitchhiker on Vancouver's hottest day, which was July 3rd, six days before he claimed to have met the girl. Picture. How'd you manage the master stroke, Gerard, The switch in identities in the first place?
5: Come on, talk. We're here
7: a mistake. Both Miss Beasley and my wife were in the car at the time of the accident. The car burned, and somehow or other later at the hospital, Margaret Beasy, who died, was identified as
2: my wife, Grace. And since her memory was gone, you made the switch complete and called your wife Margaret Beasy and left it like that. You know, Gerard, I hope you make a break for it just once before we get to headquarters. Let's go. You too, Parmalee, move. All right, but you'll have a hard time sticking me, Snoop. I haven't done anything. Oh, yes, you have. Attempted extortion as of right now. You just incited a rap.
4: Dr. Gray, the receiving ward, please. Dr. Gray.
2: She's in here, Mr. Marlowe sure it's all right if I see you now,
7: Doctor? After what you've just told me, I think it's a good idea. Her condition has changed somewhat. She's responded better than I expected, but she can use some fighting spirit, some
5: spunk.
2: Maybe you can give her that. We can't. I hope so. Don't
5: stay too long, that's all.
2: Hello, Grace. I'm Philip Marlowe, remember me? Yes, I I think I do, Mr. Marlowe. Glad to see you. Oh, good. I, I just stopped by to tell you that I have all the answers to those troublesome questions in your mind. You don't have to be afraid of them anymore. We have got nothing to worry about now except getting well. Thank you.
9: It's all hazy back
4: there. I can't remember where I've been.
2: Well, you've been away, Grace, for a long time. But now you'll be going home soon to your friends. Believe that. I'll run along now and come back tomorrow when you're feeling better. But have a long talk.
6: There,
4: Wait. Hey? Who is... Margaret
2: Veezy, A girl you knew once, briefly. And what I'll never forget. Went to sleep one night on my dive I don't
1: remember.
2: You will. Don't think about it now. Just think about home in Vancouver. you will be there soon, I promise.
4: Oh, that sounds wonderful. It's lovely in Vancouver.
2: Yeah. That's what the weatherman says.
4: Good night, my dear.
2: When I finally got home, the air in my apartment was thick, full of stagnant fear and stale tobacco smoke. So I went over the window to open it up. There I stopped because I remembered standing at that same window earlier that evening. Standing there thinking how happy I was that the world was out there. And how happy I was to be inside, looking out. Then I saw again the five deep scratches on the casing. Inside looking out. Mm -hmm. There was a guy once, a long time ago, who said something like, no man is an island entire of itself. Yeah, about 300 years ago he said that. Any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind. Yeah, sure.
3: The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says...
2: This time it was a wrestler on the skids, a quick-change artist in an alley, and a girl with an eye for angles. All met destruction because a hundred thousand easy bucks caught him in a stranglehold, which none of them wanted to break.
1: Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theatre of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 at 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time for another visit from that old gas bag himself, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, as he once again puts everyone's nerves on edge. What's that old poem, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree? Well, put a tree and Gildy together and it spells trouble. Let's listen in as Harold Perry breathes life into his favorite character.
3: Snapstest. Present each week at this time Harold Perry is the Great Gildersleeve, written by John Wheaton. Now, let's join our friend, the Great Gildersleeve, who has risen this morning with the conviction that all's right with the world. After a warm shower, a half dozen knee bends, a brisk shave, and a hearty breakfast, he stepped out onto the front porch to enjoy a cigar and survey his property.
9: Uh,
8: uh, October. I tell you, Marjorie, there's no finer month in the year. Just breathe that air.
9: Wonderful.
8: Uh, Feel that nip in it. Makes you want to get out and do things doesn't it, Leroy?
9: Such as what?
8: It's uh... October. Harvest time, frost on the pumpkin. Brown October ale, the smell of burning leaves.
9: I love October. Uh,
8: look at that maple tree in Mrs. Ransom's yard there. Like a beautiful painting.
9: Uncle Mort, I believe you'd like any kind of a tree if Mrs. Ransom was sitting under it.
8: She is? Where?
9: <laughs> <laughs> I was speaking figuratively. Oh, oh.
8: Well, let me reiterate, Marjorie, that Mrs. Ransom to me is nothing but a neighbor.
9: You believe in the good neighbor policy.
8: Yes. We were discussing trees. Look at our own lovely elm. Look at the color of those leaves. Oh, glorious.
9: Yeah, and you know what's going to happen to those leaves? They're going to fall on the ground.
8: That's the first law of nature, my boy.
9: Yeah, and I'm going to have to rake them up.
8: That's the second law. (laughs) Tree. Leroy, never let me hear you say that about a tree.
9: Okay, I think I'll go over to Piggy. Did you
8: ever stop to consider what a wonderful thing a tree is? Leroy, I asked you a question. Did you?
9: No, Uncle, I'll do it the minute I get back.
8: You. <laughs> Come back here. You do what?
9: What you said. You weren't listening. I'm listening, Uncle. Miss Piggy's waiting for me. We're going
8: to dig a fort. You dig a fort. You can do plenty of digging right here, Leroy. Just stick around. I have something to tell you. Uh, both of you.
9: Uh-oh. What is
8: it? Well, I bought a tree.
9: Huh? You bought a
8: tree? Certainly. What's so amazing about that? Everybody ought to have more trees. One of the happiest recollections of my childhood is an old cherry tree we had in our front yard at home. I fell out of it once and broke my arm.
9: (laughs) You must have had a jolly childhood, Uncle
8: Mort. Yes. What wouldn't I give to be back there now? (laughs) To be a kid again. And
9: break
8: the other lawn. Yes, sir. There are two things every boy ought to grow up with. A dog of his own and a cherry tree.
9: Do you mean that, Uncle? What? About the dog? Uh,
8: no, but I mean it about the cherry tree.
9: <laughs>
8: the tree I bought was a cherry tree.
9: How did you come to get sold this tree, Uncle Moore?
8: I didn't get sold it. I bought it of my own free will, fully dressed and in my right mind.
9: <laughs> Where are we going to put it? Where are we going to put another tree here?
8: Well, uh, uh, you don't understand, my dear. This is a very fine tree. It's a, They call it a giant ponderosa
9: smoke, how big is it?
8: Well, the man says they grow 30 or 40 feet high, higher than the house.
9: What man, Uncle Moore? It's
8: the man that sold it to me. He showed me a picture of it.
9: Oh, you haven't seen the tree?
8: Why, of course not.
9: I hope you didn't pay him for it.
8: Well, I... come on, Monk, how much did he
9: stick you for?
8: Twenty-two fifty, and he didn't stick me.
9: Twenty-two <laughs> fifty! Wow, you want some a redwoods. Uncle Moore, did you ever stop to think how many cherries you could buy for twenty-two
8: fifty? Oh, you're very helpful, both of you. But the tree will be arriving today or tomorrow we got to decide where we're going to put it. Now, I thought maybe right out here in the front. Oh, Lord, this is the only sunny spot left in
9: the whole yard. Well, that's good. Yeah.
8: Cherry trees need sun. It'll give us some nice shade out here. We can hang a hammock under
9: it. Hey, that wouldn't be bad. Just lie here with your mouth open and let the cherries drop
10: in. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
8: well, of course, we might not have more than a few cherries the first year, but after that... Oh, so, uh, Bertie.
10: Yes,
8: sir? How are you on cherry pies?
9: Well, I haven't had any complaints so far.
8: Ah, uh, then warm up your rolling pin, uh, Leroy. Do you like cherry pie?
9: Are you kidding?
8: Then get the shovel.
9: Oh, I like coconut custard better. Get
8: the shovel anyway. <laughs> hey, young, have a heart. Isn't
9: this deep enough?
8: Well, you've hardly scratched the surface there, Leroy. That isn't deep enough for a geranium.
9: Gosh, I've been digging for half an hour. Here, give me that shovel, Leroy. I'll spell you.
8: Yes, you show him how it should be done, Bertie.
5: You've got to put your foot on it and give it to old Heave Ho. Yeah,
8: that's right, Bertie. Heave Ho!
5: Heave Ho, Bertie.
8: Heave Ho. You're doing fine. I'm going to have to stop pretty soon, Mr. Gillsleeve and get lunch. Is anybody hungry? I'm not. Don't
9: you think it's deep enough now, Uncle Moore? It's up to our way.
8: Well, you've got to remember, my dear. This is no two for a nickel cherry tree. The giant ponderosa. Yes,
9: I know, Uncle Moore. These but... things
8: have roots. They've got to spread out. Evo, Bertie. Looks like i
9: am dug in for the women here. <laughs> E-ho! <Yee-haw! laughs> Am
8: spelling you? Are you me? Yes, Leroy. While you're resting, give Bertie a hand there. I,
9: I don't want to suggest anything, Hump, but how are you with a shovel?
8: Uh, I'm saving myself, Leroy. So I know that. Uh, I'm saving myself for the hard work. We got a long way to go yet. These giant ponderosas, you know. Heave home, my boy.
9: But it's up to my chin, Hump.
8: Chin up, my boy. Heave home. Heave <laughs>
5: Yes, Bertie?
9: It's getting dark down here. We won't see many women down before I
8: uh, You're getting there, Bertie. You're getting there.
9: We stuck a pipe or something down here,
8: Elson. Wait a minute, Leroy. What is it, Marjorie? we
9: straight off the call. The there, and they're sending it out.
8: Oh, fine. Well, we'll have to get busy here and have everything ready. Hey, come on up, Bertie.
9: Yes, sir, Bertie,
8: get up. Look out. You're starting a landslide. Leroy, give her a boost there. Grab hold of the shovel, Bertie, and I'll pull. Home. Yeah. Yeah.
9: Great day in the morning. I sure am glad to have that hole in the ground. Now give me a hand though.
8: Okay. One, two,
9: three. Oh! Yeah. yeah. There you are.
8: Thanks, Uncle. Now, Leroy, while you're resting, I want you to take that shovel.
9: Well, here comes Mrs. Ransom.
8: Mrs. Ransom? Oh, give me the shovel. <laughs>
9: Don't tell me you're going to break down and go to work, on.
8: Huh? Go dig your fort, Leroy. Give me the supper. <laughs> uh, good afternoon, Mrs. Ransom. Uh, lovely day.
9: Just glorious. Hello, Leroy. Hi, Mrs. Lansome. Marjorie, honey, you're looking just sweet.
8: Thank you. You're just doing a little landscaping here.
9: I saw you. I saw you out the window, and I declared to goodness. I was just consumed with curiosity, so I came right over willy-nilly. Well,
8: glad you did. Where's
9: Willie?
8: Um... <laughs> <laughs> Careful, don't fall in that hole. Oh,
9: what wrong, Marjorie? Mr. Gildersleeve, did you go and dig that great big hole?
8: Uh, well, I had a little help.
9: A little, he said. <laughs> well, it's a lovely hole, but what are you going to do with it? Make a swimming pool? Yes,
8: no, we're going to plant a tree.
9: A tree? Oh, Chuck Melton, then you did remember.
8: If you remember what?
9: what we talked about under the maple tree the other night.
8: Oh, that.
9: (laughs) (laughs) I love trees. Don't you, Marjorie? Yes? You can't go wrong with a tree. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Shark Mountain, the boys back home used to have the prettiest custom. They used to carve the girls initials in the trees. Sometimes they even put a heart around them with an arrow through it. Silly, isn't it? (laughs)
5: <laughs> Leroy, go dig
6: your porch.
9: I'm getting to like it here, Huck. Hey, I'm missing somebody else. <laughs> Just like Mr. Peavy. It is.
6: Hello, Mister Jovisley. Yeah, hello, Peavy. Hmm, doing a little digging, I see. Yes, yeah, doing a little digging. Hmm, that's nice. It's
10: nice.
6: <laughs> I do a little gardening myself when I can. Uh, Peavy, uh, you know Mrs. Ransom? Oh
9: yes. Yes, Mister Peavy and I, are old friends.
6: Yes, I had the privilege of selling Mrs. Ransom a back brush a few days ago. How's it working out, Mrs. Ransom?
9: Well, I, I hardly know that this is the place to discuss it, Mr. Peavy, but it has a tendency to tickle.
6: Well, they come that way from the factory. You have to work them in. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. and I have one of those brushes. We've had it almost ten years, and we think the world of it. We wouldn't part with that brush for almost anything you could name. Uh, well, I'm glad you're happy with
9: it. Hey, now, here comes the old goat.
6: Leroy, that's no way to talk about
8: Judge Hooker. Hello, Gildy. Hello, you old goat. Ah, <laughs> <laughs>
9: uh,
10: Mrs.
8: Ranch.
9: Oh, my, this is an unexpected pleasure, Judge. Hello, Leroy,
10: Marjorie, Phoebe. What uh, a little gathering.
9: What's going on here? Mr. Gildersleeve is having a tree planted.
10: Well, what is this, Arbor Day?
9: Oh, I wish I could stay for the ceremonies, but I've got to tend to my marketing.
8: Oh, must you go?
9: Yes, but when I come back, I expect to see a shady bell right where that hole is. Goodbye,
10: now. Uh, goodbye, Mrs. Ransom. Goodbye, Mrs. Bye. Ransom. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, Mrs. Ransom.
8: You can have the shovel back now, Leroy.
10: <laughs> What's the excavation for, Gildy? Are you going to plant this tree or bury it? No. <laughs> what kind of a tree is it? It's a cherry tree. Any objections? No. No. Of course, they don't live very long, but they'll probably live as long as you will.
8: (laughs) Listen to me, you old goat. A cherry tree was good enough for George Washington, and George Washington was good enough for me. You
9: tell him, Uncle.
8: Why, every house in this country ought to have a cherry tree. I hope this tree will be an inspiration to you, Leroy, to follow in the footsteps of George Washington you understand what's expected of you?
9: Yeah, you want me to chop it down? You
8: know.
6: <laughs>
10: <laughs> he, my kid. He knows his history, Gildy. That's more than you do. Uh,
9: yeah. Hey, i um. will Oh, here he comes. Hey, who? The express man. Maybe he's got the green.
8: Oh, no, no. It would take a bigger wagon than that, Leroy i have to send it out on the truck. All right,
9: that's well, he's
8: stopping here. Well, maybe it's still down at the freight office. Maybe they couldn't handle it. After all, a giant Ponderosa at 22 Mr. Gildersleeve, gentlemen, right there. Yeah, something for me? They sign here. Wait a minute. I was expecting a tree. They telephoned me from the freight office. You know anything about it? They sign here. But What am I signing for? I bought this tree from a fellow who came through here a week ago. Sign here, please. Oh, all right, I'll sign. But what about the tree? I paid a lot of good money down. If it's all the same to you, I'd like to know no, what. No, no, no. Now you went and signed in the wrong place. I'll have to erase it. If you erase it. Well, you got me so darn excited. Now, listen, brother, would you mind telling bottom me? The bottom line there, the bottom line.
9: Your hand's shaking, huh? Yes.
8: Yeah. Now, would you mind telling me what you're delivering, if anything? Tree. The tree? Where is
10: it? Under my arm. Take it, will you, bud? That little
5: quick! <laughs> oh, isn't
10: this awful? <laughs>
3: Let's get back to the great Gildersleeve and his cherry tree. The neighbors have left, and for half an hour, Gildersleeve and his nephew have been filling in the mighty hole they just finished digging.
9: Alas! poor Leroy, I knew him well.
8: Never mind the ham, Leroy. Keep shoveling.
9: First we shovel it out, and then we shovel it in. Yeah, that's life, uh, my boy. It seems a shame to fill up a ditch like this, huh? Would have made a swell elephant flap.
8: Yeah, I'd like to trap the fellow who sold me this tree. If that Johnny Appleseed ever comes through here again, I'll hang him from the top of it.
9: You couldn't hang a midget from it now, Uncle.
8: Uh, all right, keep shoveling. You know what,
9: Leroy? I think this tree's going to live. Oh, really,
8: Marjorie? Mm-hmm.
9: I've been soaking its little roots in water. Oh. Uh, Look, there's some green there.
8: By George, you're right. Look at that green. Water, that's all it needs. Let's get it in the ground quick, huh? Leroy, scoop out a little bed for it. Okay. Uh, the
9: young tree will stand transforming better than the big one, you know. <laughs> yeah,
8: that's right, my dear. Uh, stick it in the hole, Marjorie, and Leroy, you fill around
9: it. Hold it straight, Marge. See.
8: <sighs> uh, you know, all that digging we did will probably help us. Plenty of cultivation. That's what these trees need, and plenty of water. And I'll pat the earth around the little roots, Leroy. That's right. Don't pat it too hard. These giant ponderosas are very delicate. <laughs> you got to cultivate them and water them. You got to tend them like a little baby.
0: Hmm.
8: Nice in a tree. <laughs>
9: Maybe we ought to take it in the house nights to keep it
8: warm. Yeah. <laughs> very funny, Leroy. Go get the hose and drag it over here, will you? Got to give this a good soaking.
9: Don't you think we ought to use a medicine dropper? A medicine Go
8: <laughs> Oh, get the hose.
9: Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they just like to kid you, Uncle Mort. You are funny, you know.
8: Oh, you too. <laughs> Let them laugh. We're lucky to get a tree like this for
9: $22.50.
8: Well, drag it over here. I can't! I won't reach! This is as far it'll go! Oh, well, turn on the water. We'll squirt it from there. Here, give it to me. You go to turn it
9: off. Don't squirt it too hard, Uncle Moore. We'll knock the tree over.
8: Go ahead. Turn it on, Leroy. It's
5: on. You stand back, Marjorie. Here
8: oh. it comes. Uh-huh. Turn it on all the way. I'm
9: going to turn it on as far go.
8: Oh, look at that. Is that guy next door taking a bath again? <laughs> 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 we'll never reach the tree with that. What's the
9: matter?
8: Nothing comes out. Look at that dribble.
9: Oh, you can make it go
8: than that. Stick your
9: thumb over the end of it, Unc.
6: Well, I'll try it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Leroy,
8: you knew it would do that. <laughs>
9: you didn't have to squirt yourself in the face with it, Uncle. I'll wipe you off, Uncle Moore. It's
8: Never mind. By George, that's the last straw. That's Summerfield for you. You try to plant a tree, you try to beautify the place for a little, and then what happens? No water.
9: bertie has been complaining about the pressure all summer. Well,
8: she should. The water situation in this town is a disgrace fire hazard. It's a menace to the public health. And uh, it leaves a ring in the bathtub, too. (laughs) I'm going to go out and do something. Come on, Hooker, open up. I know you're in there.
10: All right, Gillespie, what do you want? I'm very busy. Judge, have you used any water lately? I never touch the sun. You come all the way down here to ask me riddles? I mean it. I'm serious. We can't get any water at my house. We can't get any pressure. It's a disgrace. Now don't complain to me. Complain to
8: Clanahan. He's the water commissioner. Uh, what's the use of complaining to Clanahan? He just sits down there at the waterworks on his fat salary playing pinochle.
10: <laughs>
8: while the town goes dry, a man shan't even plant a cherry tree. Now
10: don't holler at me. I don't play pinochle. That's nothing to do with it. You might at least ask a visitor to come in and sit down, Hooker. I don't want you to come in, and I don't want you to sit down. I'm busy. Uh, Judge, look.
8: I've written a letter to the Indicator Vindicator about this situation. You have? Uh, and I'd like to read it to you. No, no, no,
10: no. I'm positive it's a fine letter, Gildy. And you must be sure to send it to the newspaper. But if you want to get action with a politician like Clanahan, you'll have to get out and blast.
8: It blast? What do you mean, Judge? You
10: want to get up a petition. Go around and get people to sign
8: it. A petition? You're right. It's the voice of the people. Oh, that's wonderful, Judge. I'll get up a petition that'll blow his ears back. I'll write a petition that'll go down in history with the Missouri Compromise. Or was it the Mississippi? <laughs> ah, good morning, Floyd. Good morning, Mr. Gildersleeve. You're next. You're with you in about two minutes. Thanks, Floyd. I won't require your professional administration this morning. I shaved myself. But I've got a little thing here I'd like to have you sign.
3: Well, the wife says
6: I'll sign anything. What is it?
8: If you use a lot of water here, don't you, Floyd? I've got a petition. I'll read it to you. A quote. To whom it may concern, we, the undersigned taxpayers of Summerfield, believing that the water situation in this town is a crime and a disgrace, it's me, it's and a stench me. in the nostrils of civic pride, do hereby petition the town council... Hey, shh! What's hissing? Are you shushing me?
10: The guy in the chair under the towel.
8: This
6: are you working on me,
10: Ranger? Uh, uh, yes, sir. Be right with you. Well, get this towel off me, please. Yes, sir. Oh, hello, Clanahan. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Gildersleeve. I read your letter in the indicator
6: last night. Did you? I used your water to shave with this
8: morning. I'm just getting up a little testimonial about it here.
6: Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Gildersleeve, but
8: I couldn't
7: possibly sign a thing like that. Mr. Clanahan here is one of my best customers. I'm sorry. Come back later. Yes, <laughs> sir. <laughs> well, if that's the way you feel about it.
8: Goodbye, Floyd. I'll be seeing you, Mr. Clanahan, if you're around. <laughs> <laughs> but, Peavy, you know yourself the water in this town isn't any good. It's not even fit to bathe in.
6: Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I bathe in it regularly, so does Mrs. Peavy.
8: All right, it's fine to bathe in, then.
6: Well, no, I wouldn't say that, either. It's a little slow coming out of the tap, and it's kind of brown, and it has a peculiar taste. Well, in other words,
8: it's pretty bad water. Well,
6: no, I wouldn't say that. (laughs)
8: Look, Peavy, I'm not asking you to sign the Magna Carta. It's just a little piece of paper asking for water.
6: I understand.
8: Peavy, out in my yard, I've got a cherry tree, a little tiny cherry tree, pushing its tender shoots up through the parched earth, crying for water. Are you going to deny that little tree life? Sign here.
10: Oh, no, Gildy, I wasn't born yesterday. Look here, Judge, you're the one who told me to get up this petition. Sure I was, but I'm not crazy enough to sign it. Why, I'd as soon sign my own death warrant.
8: I'll be bringing that around yet, you old goat.
10: (laughs) A fine, upstanding judge. Well, you know how this town is run, Gildy. It's just too bad. I'd like to see somebody throw Clannahan out. Somebody else, not me. Uh, That's your final word, is it, Hooker? I'm sorry, Gildy, but that's it.
8: Very interesting. This is going to be very interesting. To whom? To a certain lady who shall be nameless. Mrs. Ransom. All right.
10: If you're going to play dirty, give me the paper. I thought you'd see the light, Judge. You're worse than Clanahan. I'm doing this against my better judgment, you understand.
8: You never want to trust that anyway. Thanks, Judge. <laughs> <laughs>
9: Come in, won't you? Come right in.
8: Uh, Now,
9: don't tell me you've gone and brought me something again. Well, not
8: exactly. I brought you a little paper to sign.
9: Oh, my goodness. I do hope it's nothing legal.
8: Well, it has to do with the water situation.
9: Oh, dear. Is it bad?
8: Hadn't you noticed? It's terrible. There's no hydraulic pressure.
9: Oh, there you go. I just don't know what you're talking about when you talk about things like that. I'm not a bit mechanical, you know.
8: Oh, uh, well, you don't have to but understand it, really. Yeah. All you have to do is sign it. It's a petition.
9: Petition? Is that anything like a subpoena?
8: Uh, well, not really, no.
9: Because I never did know what a subpoena was. My my husband, Borreguide, was a lawyer, you know, and I never did understand him from the day I married him. Oh, but then he never understood me. Oh. But we understand each other, don't we, Dros
10: the brother.
9: <laughs> Come into the parlor, won't you? Now, let's don't talk about petitions and pressures and chemistry and all that. Let's talk about us.
8: Oh, well, I'll tell you. I've got to get this petition in before the meeting of the town council tomorrow. Oh,
9: who? Cool. All you men think about is business.
8: It's, I know. But uh, let's get a sign first, and then we can... Uh, you go on from there.
9: <laughs> well, I'd love to sign a truck, Morton. Really, I would. But boy, God told me I must never sign anything without getting the advice of a lawyer,
8: first.
9: Oh. Uh, don't you reckon maybe I ought to consult Judge Hooker?
8: Hooker? <laughs> no, frankly, I don't think the judge would understand about this. You don't? No. You see, it, this petition, it, it, well, it all started with that tree I planted. Our tree, Leela. Our little tree.
9: Oh, Rock Martin, you're sweet. I'll sign it. I'll do anything you say. Uh,
8: wait, here's my pen.
9: After all, you're my air warden. I guess that makes it legal, doesn't
8: it? <laughs> Absolutely.
9: There, to Rock Martin with love from Lena.
6: Uh, huh? <laughs>
9: <laughs> what, aren't you pleased?
5: Well, it's... Uh,
9: I mean, it's all right the way I autographed it.
5: Oh, the town council will love
8: it. <laughs> <laughs> With love from Leela.
6: <laughs>
8: What's that noise? What kind of... It's only six o'clock. What's going on out there? Hey
9: wake up.
8: Leroy, what's that racket outside?
9: There's a gang of men digging in the
8: front yard. In the front yard? Who told them to do that? Six o'clock in the morning. I'll find out
5: about this. Hey! Hey out there!
8: Oh, it's you, Clanahan. What do you think you're doing?
5: You complained about the water, didn't you?
8: Certainly I did, and I'm going to complain about it again. You
5: said you
8: wanted action, didn't you? Certainly I did. Well,
6: you're
8: getting it. Wait a minute. Where's that tree that was there?
6: What tree? Oh! (laughs)
8: Again, I never heard of it.
9: You never heard of Here We Go Again?
8: Well, I've heard of it now.
9: It's got Sidney McGee and Molly in it. Oh,
8: my little chums.
9: Well... And Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Well,
8: for heaven's sake, that sounds great. Here's a dollar. Take your friend.
9: Wait a minute. There's a guy in it called the Great Gildersleeve.
8: Never heard of Oh, that's me. What am I saying? Wait a minute, Leroy. I'll get my hat and go with you. Good night, everybody. Here we go again. Here. <laughs> yeah.
3: occurred on this program was composed and conducted by Billy Mills. This is Frank Bingman speaking for the makers of Tab Set and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve.
1: Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, we wind up the week with Suspense Theater, followed by The Aldridge Family. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor.